right, hello and welcome to Inside the Cylinder, episode 109. <clears throat> Tonight we have a very special draft preview for you. I am Matt Way, writer at Detroit Bad Boys, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, David Fernandez. David, what's going on? Not much. Um, I broke this news on the old Twitter sphere, but uh, your boy won his bracket for the first time since really in forever. And the first time I've actually won some money on it. So go Bears. Was happy to see that result and uh, feeling good, man. You know, that's a good way to sort of start off your week. And I enjoyed the game, even though it was kind of an ass kicking. But uh, all in all, man, I'm excited to have this guest. I'm excited to talk about, you know, one of these top dogs that will hopefully wind up on Detroit. But um, yeah, man, things are going good over here. Awesome. Yeah. And like, like David said, we are uh, joined by a very special guest. Um, he covers the NBA draft at the box and one. He's an assistant men's basketball coach at Dickinson college, a contributor for Celtics blog. Somebody I've known for, for some time written at with uh, written with at multiple sites. Um, just all around good guy, Adam Spinella, Adam, thank you so much for, for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me on here. Always fun to to talk some hoops, to talk NBA draft, which is going to be here way before we know it. And with the conclusion of the college season and not having any new film to gather on these guys between now and the draft, it sounds like the perfect time to to start a lot of these conversations and see who's going to be the right fit to join the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of gets to my my first, just generally, I wanted to ask you um, how you go about kind of evaluating prospects. And so I think there's kind of two parts to that. Evaluating players, you know, in the context of wherever they're at. This year we have guys coming from or playing in college, playing overseas, playing in the G League. So evaluating them there and then how you kind of take that and, and project that into how they might translate to the nba so how what are what are your thoughts on and or i guess in your experience on how you go about doing that adam well guys this is an unusual year with unprecedented circumstances there's no real way to put apples and oranges against each other and try to weigh them and it's always a tough job with guys coming from nba or g league or all these different circles but this year in particular is going to be really challenging I think on a, from a scouting perspective, you have to have a really good feel for the style of play that is successful around the league right now. Too many times we focus on certain intangibles. We focus on things like length or numbers that they put up in college. At the end of the day, we're, we're looking for people that are going to be a part of a winning franchise in the NBA. And there are many ways to, to skin a cat and get there, but you really have to have a good pulse about what's in vogue right now. So you know, 15 years ago when teams weren't shooting as many three-pointers and could play two bigs at a time, the game was different than it is right now. So having that ability to contextualize and say, what's important in the NBA? How does this impact winning? And what do we, what types of pieces do we need to assemble a winning team really drives this entire conversation. I have certain skills or, or traits that I look for and value really, really importantly. I think just the ability to make simple pass, dribble, and shoot plays are something that everybody has to have at the NBA nowadays, even if you're a big guy. The times have changed where people have to be able to stretch out the floor. And if they don't shoot it, if they don't find themselves as a fantastic playmaker, they have to have one definitive strength that they hang their hat on. 
at the end of the day, size, athleticism, upside, and age, they, they do matter in the draft. You're going to see a lot more 19s and 20-year-olds get the benefit of the doubt as as they still have a little bit more bloom on the rose, so to speak. But we're always looking for guys uh, at the college level, at the pro level, through drafting. You look for guys that help you impact winning, and, and I hope that that doesn't get lost in this process too much. Yeah, that's a, a, a great way of putting it. Um, and I think that we've seen some of that just from our own personal perspectives, having covered this Pistons teams. We, we've talked about, you know, Andre Drummond, you know, he, he might have been uh, a completely different player had he played 15 years ago, right, compared to um, what he is now in the league and, and kind of how his skill sets valued. Um, and then also we went through the too big experiment, which, uh, you know, fluttered out in the first round as uh, a lot of people had expected once the, the Blake and Andre experiment, uh, got swept out of, uh, the first round by the Bucks a couple of years ago, but a guy that sort of does hit those, you know, pr- pretty much hits a lot of the boxes that, that you've mentioned, um, you know, size, shooting, passing, defense, uh, Cade Cunningham, you know, he's also going to fit that mold in the age bracket that you mentioned. He's the consensus number one pick, anything that you've seen from him. And I saw some of this chatter following the way that Oklahoma state exited the, uh, exited the, the tournament this year that gives you any type of pause when it comes to evaluating him as a prospect or for you, is it sort of like a no brainer? You're the first overall pick. Don't worry about fit. That's the guy you got to go with. He he's a no-brainer to me. Uh, there's a little bit of you know, I'm not huge on player comps. I think everybody is their own individual and has their own mesh of different styles and traits that makes them unique. So I don't love pigeonholing guys through comparisons. But I'll break my own rule right now. Like there's a little bit of that combination between Luka Doncic and Grant Hill to his game with the size, the fluidity, the ability to create off the bounce for himself and others. I think the the misconception around Cade Cunningham is that his assist numbers are somehow indicative of of his passing ability when he has teammates at Oklahoma State who brick layups and missed a ton of shots that he gift wrapped for them and you know their spacing wasn't always fantastic around him at, at times he is a generational type of passer and to be able to combine that with a guy who shot 40% from 3 is six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan and has point guard skills. You just don't see it every day. I think that anyone who tries to make the argument Kate is anything other than the number one overall pick is simply overthinking it. And with his size, ball handling ability, playmaking off the bounce, the shooting, the he's a really good defender as well. Uh, I think he fits in what any team would try to do, not just Detroit, where he's such a good player. He impacts winning in such a way. He carried Oklahoma State to where they got to this year. Uh, To me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's what uh, I was going to bring up. It's like, you know, this Oklahoma State team, they've talked about how, you know, they weren't clearly weren't the most talented team. There's only one other guy, maybe two other guys that I had seen uh, people talk about that that have a shot at at getting to the league at the next level. Um, So I I was also personally on that train, just kind of thinking like, hey, this, this is, he is the engine that's making this thing run. You know, it's not, uh, a standard sort of powerhouse program, uh, but he was able to get them going in the right direction at the end of the season, um, you know, take that into the tournament. And uh, yeah, you know, you're going to flutter out uh, eventually once once you do have that much like of a lack of talent on your team um, just compared to some of the other programs that we saw 
get all the way to the final and whatnot. So that wasn't necessarily a concern of mine. Do you think that there's any way that there's going to be sort of a a repeat situation in the NBA when it came to uh, you know the Luka Doncic situation? You know, for instance, where it, people overthought it, right? You know, Marvin Bagley was put, selected ahead of him. DeAndre Ayton also, you know, he's definitely shown a lot more in the league than than Bagley has so far. Or do you think that this is like a the time where like the league has finally learned their lesson? It's like okay. This guy's got like all three scoring levels. He's got the passing. He's got the vision. You know, that, that there's no way that there's going to be some sort of fit situation that kind of gets in the way there. There's a combination of the, the Doncic factor where nobody wants to, you know, be the idiot that didn't pick the obvious guy uh, first overall. I think the, the difference in this draft as opposed to a couple of years ago was when Doncic was picked, he wasn't really the consensus number one guy on every single board throughout the entire season and pre-draft process. Uh, there was a, a lot of chatter about guys like Aiton and Bagley and even Mo Bamba uh, being in, in that top tier where I, I think Cunningham has been so head and shoulders above everybody else from the beginning that at this point in time with you know the other four guys that are in that, that top tier not being able to catch him, uh, it seems kind of set in stone to me. Um, <clears throat> Adam, I'm curious, you know, we – we, we know Cade Cunningham's a gifted passer. You know, the Pistons are a team that have really struggled to shoot um, and just create offense. And certainly he's a guy that is going to be able to create offense on a level that the Pistons just don't have right now. Do you think that he is the type of guy who can come in day one? Obviously, you would expect him to start. But but can he, can he really elevate this current Pistons roster right away from day one? He can elevate it. I'm not sure how high uh, he would be able to lift it. I think you mentioned shooting as being something that's incredibly important. And when you're evaluating Cade right now, that's what was missing at Oklahoma State. They had a couple guys that can make shots, but they don't have a shooter. And, you know, with the the Pistons right now, long term, probably Sadiq Bey is the only younger guy on this roster that you would find and, and really consider a huge catch and shoot threat. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but it just seems like that's one thing missing in the roster right now to the point where Cade can elevate them. His overall level of talent, his shot making ability on his own is, is going to be, you know, it adds an element they don't have, but he is going to be best when you surround him with spacing and shooters and and multi-positional players where he can really, really pick apart a defense and make them pay for helping off someone else. Yeah. Detroit definitely needs some more shooters. Jeremy Grant, I think can be a, better shooter and he's been a good shooter, but I think he could be a better shooter with a guy like Cade. Um, you know, the question's really going to be whether they can develop, continue to develop guys like, uh, Isaiah Stewart, who's shown some flashes. How many Diallo's actually shot well on a limited sample, certainly, um, in Detroit, but, um, yeah, that's, that's gonna, we're, we're just gonna have to see on that. Um, the next guy we, we have kind of on the list seems to be the consensus number two prospect, um, is, is Evan Mobley. I, I've seen a decent amount of Evan Mobley. I'm always taken at him when I, when I watch him at just how fluid he is defensively at his size. Um, he, he's about as fluid a big man as defensively as I think I've, I've watched in college. Um, I'm curious, number one, do you, do you see him as, is he your second best prospect? And, uh, you know, can you just break down his game a little bit for our, our listeners who maybe haven't watched Evan uh, Evan Mobley much? 
Sure. So I, I alluded to it earlier that there's a top five tier in this draft developing. I think Cade Cunningham is a half step better than everybody else to be the clear number one. I would put two, three, and four really, really close together right now. And that's Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and Jalen Green. I'm still trying to weigh and go back and forth for who I, I put above everybody else. And I think a large part of who ends up going where is going to depend on who's picking in those spots. The, the appeal of Mobley is, you know, the game has evolved for what big men are asked to do. It used to be post up on the block, defend the post, be a decent passer out of there, and a great rebounder. That then changed to rim protection, shot blocking, the Roy Hibbert, Rudy Gobert type of mold. As the game has evolved to four out and five out and stretch fives are, are a thing right now, it's been a little bit more switching on the perimeter. It's been being able to shoot the ball and create from the top of the key in that pie slice area in the middle third. Evan Mobley's the first prospect that I can remember who comes into the NBA draft having a fairly polished ability to do all of that, to defend the post, to protect the rim, to be a little bit switchable, shoot the ball and create from the top of the key. You know, in baseball, you talk about the term of a five-tool player. I think Mobley is that for a big man. And his, his impact isn't going to be a go out there and get you 20 points a game type of guy, but reliable great anchoring of your defense with such a unique offensive piece who can can play away from the basket, finish on the interior, be a threat off the short roll to create for others. It, again, his polish is unlike what we've ever seen for a big man coming out of the draft. He still has some physical maturity to go through, but in, in terms of skill, I, I don't know if, if we've seen a, a, a big man or a five kind of this skilled since Anthony Davis. Yeah, I was going to say that's definitely one of the comps that, that I've heard. I've, I've heard a little bit of Bam as well. I haven't seen that as much, but, you know, he's seven foot tall. I think he's listed at 215 pounds right now, which is scary slim for, for a seven footer, seven four wingspan. But you, so you'd assume that that would uh, be something that would hopefully be addressed and, um, you know, he'd be able to put on the weight and be a little bit more reliable in the post against NBA bigs. Um, is there any concern to you at all when it comes to that frame, either from like an injury perspective or from just like, and we've also seen guys not be able to put in the, put on weight. You know, it's not a given that a guy is going to just come into the league and automatically, you know, within the course of two seasons, put on, you know, 20, 25 pounds of muscle or something like that. Um, is there any, any reason to be concerned about like that, that thin frame at, at the next level, it, at least, you know, initially it'll be something that'll have to be addressed, but at the end of the day, you know, is, do you, do you have any sort of lingering doubts that, that, that could be something that, uh, you know, because could become a serious issue for him at the next level. David, maybe I'm an eternal optimist, but that doesn't really phase me too much with this. I, I know my perspective as a college coach is always give benefit to the doubt of, once they hit that 20 to 22 age range, they start to fill out, be pretty com competent and comfortable in the weight room and with who they are. Uh, so I, I'm not somebody who gets really, really phased by that in general. But with Mobley, because he's such a skill-based player, and you know when we talk about strength at the, at the five position right now and banging down low, how many teams are running post-ups 10, 15 times a night? Really, it's the, the Sixers right now. That, that have Joel Embiid as the unique threat. Nobody else does that anymore. So when it comes to you know being impactful on a nightly basis without 
having top tier strength. I think Mobley has the skill, the length, the, the natural IQ to be able to, to figure out ways to be impactful regardless. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and I guess when it, when it comes out to those other guys, you mentioned it. So for your top five, is it's rounding out as Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Jonathan Kaminga. Do you think there's, that's like kind of like the, the, the core top five right now as is, or it, would you swap out any of those guys for someone maybe a little bit lower or is there, someone else that might be on your radar that um, that might not be as discussed that you could see maybe climbing like we saw in a Patrick Williams last season. It's it, funny that you mentioned Patrick Williams. I was just going to bring that up to me. That is the top five right now. If there is a sixth and a guy who I think could find his way knocking on the door, it's Scotty Barnes from Florida state who athletically speaking, size wise, he played at Florida state, same way as Patrick Williams. There's, there's a lot of similarities there. The more that I watch Scotty Barnes, the more, like small flashes of a Giannis-like player I see, which is an unfair comparison to heap on a kid. But massive hands, like really, really high finisher above the basket, still doesn't really know how to shoot or always use his athleticism. And and the knock on Barnes that he doesn't rebound well enough for somebody with his natural gifts. But there's going to be a team that is going to weigh trying to take him in the top five. Uh, But right now he's not in there. To me, it's... It's Suggs, Green, and Mobley somewhere in two, three, four, and then maybe Kaminga Barnes a little bit of of toss up five six. Um, I, Adam, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Jalen Suggs. He's he's a guy I've seen. Some people are super high on him. Um, I heard somebody say I, I went on <laughs> I went on a podcast uh, after the the Knicks game that the Pistons lost by like five hundred. Um, and and one of the guys asked if he was going to go number one because he had just made that half court shot. Um, I, my concern with Jalen Suggs, if if there is a concern, like he's very, he seems very like a cerebral player, just a guy who just does everything right. Um, my one concern is what you kind of talked about earlier when you when you said if if you know he's, you're not a top-notch creator and I, I i guess i i would ask you you know if you think he is um you know do you have that that great nba skill and i guess i guess my concern is does he have that nba skills uh, that great nba skill um what are what are your thoughts i guess on that and just uh jalen suggs in in general i'm a huge jalen suggs fan and i've had him at number two since very early in maybe december that he's climbed up that spot and and really held on to it. I'm not sticking with that between now and July, so don't you know don't hold me to it a little bit later. But the benefit of the doubt for me comes from the fact that he's a winner. Like at some point, we overthink this by analyzing every micro area of a, a person's game and and what they've shown on the court. But you know, sometimes that it factor, that thing you're watching that you feel, but you can't really explain like why Jalen Suggs is the guy that hits that half court shot confidently, or is the guy that when they're not playing well in the West Coast Conference Championship against BYU, he's the one who storms back and single-handedly takes control of the game to keep Gonzaga's unbeaten season going. He just, he has a little bit of that it to him where he's a winner. And he does enough of everything really, really well that if he doesn't have that one signature strength, uh, he's going to be okay. The, the shooting, it is a little bit of a concern. Uh, you asked about his his facilitating. Is he a top 
top-notch creator. I think he is. I think he's a really, really good uh, ball screen creator. And beyond that, he's a terrific on-ball defender. You know, the backcourt spots in this draft are filled with guys who can be plus-level defenders in the NBA. And Suggs belongs in the top three or four in that category. He, he's long. He's athletic. He's got great instincts. Just a lot of things that you can't teach intangibly. And, you know, when you look at somebody's stat sheet, it's really easy to throw those into the back seat and say, ah, well, he only shot 31% from three. Or, uh, you know, his turnovers are a little bit high right now as a freshman. He still has it. And that's got to count for something. So I'm a, I'm a huge Suggs fan. And I think that if he ends up being the Pistons pick, they would be they should be really happy to have him. Uh, so, I mean, you're describing a lot of what Troy Weaver definitely likes. Um, <clears throat> and I, I the, the way you talk about Suggs reminds me the way that I felt about uh, Tyrese Halliburton last last uh, draft, um, where he just kind of had that, that it factor to me, where he just understood the game way better than everyone else. Um, were, you, were, you a, were you a Tyrese Halliburton fan last year? I, lo- I liked Halliburton. I didn't love him. Uh, I had a lot of questions about the fluidity of his jump shot, his scoring ability off the bounce. He has worked on that already so much and, and improved in such a short amount of time that Halliburton's proven me wrong, and I'm happy to, to eat my words on it. You know, We genuinely root for, for every single guy that comes through the draft process just because he, I wasn't high on him, and he ends up outperforming my expectations. doesn't mean that I should be, have sour grapes about it. Like, Good for him. Uh, but I wasn't a huge Halliburton fan. I appreciate the honesty. Um, so to, to move it over to another guy that you mentioned in the top five, uh, Jalen Green. You know, if you didn't see him, uh, it's probably because his games were on at 2 p.m. Uh, you know, just, just to the people listening out there on, uh, you know, on ESPN2 when he was with the Ignite, the G League Ignite team. He is one of the guys that Matt and I have talked about briefly here on, on this show as, you know, sort of that bulk score that, that would definitely be uh, needed in uh, in an offense like Detroit, which has been stagnant to say uh, kindly uh, so far this season. 18 points per game, shot 37% from three, 46% from the field. Uh, freaky athlete, can jump out the gym super duper fast, you know, and I know Matt had noted this as well. Um, you know, do you have any concerns that he might be too much like one speed? I'm going, it's all go, you know, no slow. And, or is there any, and one thing that I have heard about him that people seem to be high on that they haven't necessarily seen so far is also on the other side of the ball, the defensive end, um, any types of defensive concerns. It seems like people are, are, you know, going to trust that athleticism that he's going to figure it out at that end of the floor. But I, I would love to hear your thoughts on Jalen Green, because he was one of these, you know, clearly like top guys going into, uh, you know, previous to this year, you know, coming into this season. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Jalen Green kind of from a total package. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit with what I said earlier about Cade Cunningham being the shoe in number one guy. I, I stand by that statement, but I think Jalen Green has the highest upside and highest ceiling of anybody in this class. He is such a dynamic scorer uh, with already pretty polished step backs, and, and the amount of space that he creates is somewhat absurd. He has the potential to be an absolutely elite finisher, a pretty deep bag of tricks in his arsenal. He's got a six seven wingspan for a guard that's 
you know, a guy that's going to play with the ball in his hands with a six, seven wingspan is, is pretty appealing. And he has the ability to win games for you just with how hot he can get. And, and by taking over in one-on-one situations as a scorer, he can also shoot you out of games. And that's where my you know, hesitancy comes in and putting him as a clear cut number two in the draft right now. Uh, his defensive stuff is wildly underrated to me. I think he's going to be a really, really good defender. He has a lot of tools in his arsenal, and he's just scratching the skirt surface with learning how to use them. For me, the, the concerns with Jalen Green aren't on that end. It's more so about ball security and creation. You know, when you get a guy who's such a talented scorer, a lot of times you, you hope that he figures it out for making plays at the right time and getting other guys involved. And, and what we've seen in the past is, you know, the guys who, who are really, really good scorers are usually competent at getting other guys involved and making the right reads most of the time. But there are also ones that don't end up winning as a result of that. And that's where, you know, the Jalen Suggs factor, or Cade Cunningham, who just willed Oklahoma State to so many, many victories this year. I always try to come back to, is this a type of player who can single-handedly impact you in a winning way? Like Jalen Green has the potential to do that, but he can also shoot you out of games in ways that I don't think we've seen from a, a Cunningham or a Suggs. Yeah, and he had those turnover issues that, that I remember just from you know some of the first initial games that, that I was able to watch from uh, from the Ignite so far this season. But go ahead, Matt. I know you were about to say something. Oh, um, so I, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, Jonathan Kaminga, the other guy who's in your, I guess your Scotty Barnes tier, Adam. Um, what do you, what do you, I guess, what do you see as as Kaminga's role at the next level? Um, you know, the one, I guess he's he's obviously a, a huge athlete. Um, he can he's going to be a great finisher. I think he, he's shown some competency shooting. My question is, I guess, whether he has the the counter moves to really impact the game offensively inside the arc when teams are going to eventually try to take away what he what he wants to do at the rim. Um, what are what are your what are your, so what are your, what are your thoughts on Jonathan Kaminga? Kaminga is probably the youngest guy that's going to go in the lottery. So for him, you know, he should be in high school still right now. And that I think a lot of times get lost in the conversation about these guys. Like he's a year behind developmentally where everybody else that we're talking about in the lottery should be. I think the the upside with him is, is so high as a scorer that if he figures out how to have a pretty reliable jump shot, he's going to be a Carmelo Anthony type of scorer in the NBA. He has a deep bag of tricks. He's really, really comfortable in the mid range, that pinch post game, which is a little bit of a lost art right now. And, Again, we talk about impacting winning. I'm not sure how many mid-range twos guys, you know, guys take nowadays in isolation, but that's where the Kawhi Leonard comparisons really come for him, like a really long, rangy athlete with huge hands who can just dominate in that 12 to 17-foot range. He's a very, very good athlete, uh, but again, you mentioned the shooting consistency is going to be it for him right now. Like he, he has to be able to drill shots eventually because if teams are taking that away then he's going to be a lot easier to guard and I think that's why he's a half step below some of the other guys that we've talked about right now like the upside is incredibly high he has the potential to go out and get you 25 or 30 pretty early in his career 
but without a, a reliable jump shot, there are some question marks. What uh, what are you, what do you think about him defensively? He's he's got work to do. I think a lot of that's the youth. Um, you know, the the G League Ignite program is a lot tougher to be a good defender in than college basketball right now. So I give guys like him or Isaiah Todd a, a lot of benefit of the doubt in knowing that they're going up against grown men who are a lot smarter basketball players and a little bit more polished and skilled. It's like a college all-star game every single time they step on the floor. Uh, so I, I'm not, again, he's 18. He's got a lot of upside to him. He's a good enough athlete that he should be able to keep anybody in front of him. It's, it's going to take teaching. It's going to take time. He is a competitor. I will say that uh, knowing a little bit of his, his high school background and, and, you know, being in, in the region where he played guys who've coached him, love him. Uh, he, he works his ass off. He tries really, really hard to be about the right things and be a quick learner. So a lot of those intangibles that are out there lead me to believe that he's going to, he's going to be just fine defensively. Good stuff. Yeah. So I I did want to ask, so, you know, this is, Maybe something to do with uh, the pain that uh, Matt and I have felt um, seeing Detroit uh, fall in in some of their more recent draft selections. Uh, and even though now we have our eyes set on Cade Cunningham or you know one of these other uh, top five guys that we've already talked about, but knowing our luck, you know there's always a chance that that they do fall. And I'm gonna. Knock on some audible wood here the, for the people the pist- out there. The Pistons have never moved up in the lottery. Uh, Other um, than when it wasn't our pick and yeah, we Darko. talked to Darko Miller. <laughs> but uh, is there anyone – and you mentioned Scotty Barnes. I was, I'm wondering if there's anyone else that – or if you want to elaborate a little bit more on, on Scotty, Scotty Barnes. But anyone else – and we had talked about some of the fits that Detroit needs. You know, shooting um, – they have a lot of holes. So I, I think you can kind of go across the board when it comes to uh, the holes that, that Detroit needs to fill. Um, is there any like best fits that, that you think, you know, just, just from your periphery of, of, you know, understanding like this current Pistons iteration that, that are outside of this consensus top five that might be able to come in and immediately plug a hole and, and be sort of a, a plus player um, that, that you'd see in this upcoming draft? So with Detroit and looking at the roster, the way that Troy Weaver has started to, to push things out, it seems like the two, three, and four position on the wings are somewhat interchangeable. They want to have length and athleticism at every spot and a little bit of that toughness, grit, work ethic, like chip on your shoulder type of guy is who they're attracted to. So when we're looking outside of the top five and the obvious talents, the guys that you say are just too good to pass up on. Uh, you know, I think length is going to be important, and wingspan is is a huge factor for for defenses for switchability. So if they're going to build a team that's two, three, four, all switchable, and you can play a, a Killian Hayes who might be able to guard up eventually, or have a five that can can switch onto the perimeter, it allows you to do a ton of different things. So uh, f- I think Barnes fits in that a little bit well. He has shooting concerns, and you mentioned that shooting is something that the team needs. He does not create for himself. He's not a reliable catch-and-shoot guy. As great of a playmaker as he is with the ball in his hands and a a fantastic athlete, there's a little bit of Jeremy Grant redundancy, and there's a lot of concern about what he can do off the ball. Uh, For me, I would really key in on, in that kind of later part of the top 10, Moses Moody. I love guys who impact 
the game without having the ball in their hands. And Moody is, he's not Clay Thompson, uh, nowhere near as polished or as good of a defender in those ways. But the, you know, the stats that you see where somebody has 25 shots or 25 points and only takes 11 shots and 11 dribbles, that's the type of guy that Moses Moody is. And, and it opens up the floor for everybody else. So if you're looking at somebody that can come in and make an impact right away positively without necessarily being a ball-dominant type of player, you know, don't reach for somebody because you feel like you need an alpha if nobody on the board is worthy of being an alpha. And that's where Moses Moody really is just the solid right type of pick to make, in my opinion. And Moody can tie his shoes without bending his knees. That man's wingspan is is absolutely insane. Just kind of seeing it in having watched uh, them play over in the tournament and previous to so far this year. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, I think that's a good point and, and a good way of putting it. If you're not seeing the guy that's there, that's going to that, that you don't want to forcibly put the ball in his hands just because, um, you know, that might be what he, he had done well previously while in college or. Uh, overseas or something like that, you know, then don't do it. You know, there's no reason to try to fit a uh, square peg into a round hole when you can actually fill uh, uh, one of your needs or just have them mesh within the system that you're trying to build, which you really did hit the nail on the head there from, you know, Troy Weaver's perspective. It's something that we've known about him from his days in Oklahoma City under Sam Presti. And it's something that we've seen pretty immediately and starkly in the sense of Detroit and his way to sort of overhaul this roster and build it out with those types of guys that fit those very similar profiles and have that type of switchability around the arc. So no, that, that, that makes sense. And, and that was a guy that, that honestly, I thought you were going to say that was, that was someone that I was thinking of outside of this uh, traditional top five, I guess you can say. Um, but uh, yeah, no, those are all good points for sure. And um, so, you know, you, you seem to have a good pulse of the the kind of guys that Troy Weaver likes. Um, and we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, they've also, both he and Dwayne Casey really have been, been pretty vocal about trying to build a culture um, in Detroit. And it's something Detroit frankly hasn't had since they traded away Chauncey Billups, uh, you know, 13 years ago or however, it's been about 13 years. Um They've been they've been looking to build that culture since then. Um, that culture that the bad boys had, that the the O four you know mid aughts teams had. <clears throat> Troy Weaver seems to be going down that same kind of rabbit hole, getting guys who are hard workers, just smart players, guys that know their role. Um, who in this draft, Adam, are are some of your favorite guys that fit that mold? And I I don't even necessarily mean the best guys, um, you know, might be just kind of an off the radar guy because we, we saw last, last draft, Troy Weaver traded a bunch of, traded a bunch to get, um, to get up and get Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart. So he's been very clear that if, if he's got some ammo in, uh, in the chamber, he's going to use it. Um, and so we're, I'm, I'm half expecting the Pistons to have a couple, couple draft picks. They might, we might not know of right now. Um, so who who are your, just generally some of your your favorite guys that fit that mold? It's an unbelievable question and point. Uh, I'm going to recircle back to something I'm, I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say at this point, but it comes back to winning a lot of the times, and and that's where Jared Butler has always stood out to me. 
the story of, of Butler, he was barely a, a top 100 recruit coming to Baylor and worked himself through three years in college to become better and better and better every single year. Uh, about a year ago, I had Butler as being a late first-round pick on my board. Thought he'd be in that 25 to 30 range, just a really good complementary player who can shoot, was a little bit better of a creator off the bounce than people thought. And he came back to, to Baylor this year, obviously won a national championship, which is why we're talking about him as a winner. But he improved so many facets of his game. He is a, an unbelievable step-back three-point shooter right now. And that's, that's something he didn't have in his bag a year ago. Uh, you know, Does he have the length and the size that Troy Weaver might typically want? No, he's a 6'3 combo guard who can play the one or the two. But he's really tough defensively. He does a little bit of everything on offense. And, and what I love most, his eyes are always up on the court. He, he finds open teammates you know, once every other game. There's just a broken play where somebody's standing under the rim, and it's Jared Butler that finds him for the layup. Like Those are the, those moments that you can't necessarily quantify how important that is, but most other guys are going to miss that. You know, when, when you talk about culture, I think another guy who comes to mind for me is, is Deuce McBride from West Virginia. He's starting to rise up other draft boards against somebody I've had in the top 20 or top 25 for most of the season just because I, I love his competitiveness. Another one of those backstories, he was a, a really highly rated football player in high school and didn't start specializing on hoops until his, his junior and senior year. Had gone through some injuries and, and didn't want to risk anything else and just said, all right, I'm going to be a hoops guy. Got to West Virginia a year ago and wasn't really a very good shooter, but showed some unreal athletic bursts, a, a good 6'2 guard with, with long arms who gets into the ball defensively. And he ended up being a really, really good three-point shooter this year, both catch and shoot and off the bounce, where he's turned himself into a fantastic scorer. You know, culture guys who continue to work hard, get better, and get into the ball defensively in the backcourt, I think are invaluable right now. Because as the league starts to trend a little bit smaller and playing multiple lead guards and handlers or several guys on the floor at a time who are 6'6 or shorter, if you have somebody that can lock down all three of those positions, create their own shot, and knock down ones that are created for him while being a great teammate and locker room guy, I mean, that's a, that's a recipe for success. So I, I love Butler and I love McBride. That, that's great stuff. Butler was phenomenal last night, I thought. He was he, – he, he impresses me every time I watch him play. So I would, I would be happy to see him in, in Detroit for sure. Another guy that I want to just bring up real quick on now that we're on the, the Baylor train is uh, Davion Mitchell. I mean, that was a guy that I didn't know much about. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not a, a scout. I am not a uh, I'm not the one who is writing the the college uh, and the draft pieces on Detroit Bad Boys. Uh, but he, he was just someone and I don't necessarily know where he is I would assume that he's somewhere in like the late first round second round right now from like a draft perspective but I like I would have to double check on that you'll probably know more than me for sure but he was someone that really just popped to me just with his speed his burst when he got a big on him his ability to get to the cup his ability to finish when he got there he kind of reminded me a little bit of what I've been seeing out of Saban Lee this year and his ability to use his frame to sort of shield himself and still get a, a high look, high percentage look up at the rim, even though he is smaller coming in at six foot two. Um, and, and then he also just seems like that 
sort of winner type of player that, you know, that, that, uh, um, you know, maybe like a like a Jalen Brunson of, of, of sorts, you know, a little undersized, but has that sort of like pedigree. He seems to have that type of work ethic to where you're not going to have to worry about him when it comes to the next level. I was wondering where where you might see him getting scooped up uh, in, in this year's draft. I'm a, I am a growing Davion Mitchell fan. Uh, he's got that junkyard dog mentality where defensively like he's going to be a Patrick Beverly type of player in the league. I don't think there's much doubt about that. The way he can get into the ball and just create havoc with his willingness and intensity on defense, it's, it's rare you find a guy like that. Offensively, he has worked and turned himself into a really good catch-and-shoot threat and somebody who can a little bit create his own shot off the bounce. He's not a three-level scorer. He's a two-level scorer. He's at the three-point line and anything at the rim, so I don't see him being a guy that – you hand the keys to and, and let him run an offense. Uh, so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, hesitance on my part to say that he's going to be a really, really good pro. So I don't have him as a lottery guy right now. I think he's more so in the, the 20s to 30 range. His draft stock is all over the place. You know, if you guys remember Malachi Richardson, who was at Syracuse a few years ago. Oh, I remember yeah. Malachi Richardson. I think he was on the Raptors too for a bit, or maybe that's where he got drafted. He drafted but, uh, by the Kings, yeah. So he, okay, okay. He, he was that late riser through the NCAA tournament where people knew who he was a little bit, but the severe overreaction to the final few games of the year in the NCAA tournament when everybody's watching always bumps one or two guys a little bit further up draft boards than they really should go. Now, Mitchell's been consistently around that mid to late first round area for for maybe weeks, maybe months now. Uh, but there are people right now who are clamoring for him to go in the top 10 based on how he played. And I think that's getting a little bit carried away with recency bias. He's a very, very good defender, and he's going to be able to provide that. But uh, I, I don't know if he is a creator on offense to the point where Patrick Beverly might be the the accurate comparison for a guy like him. They call him off night for a reason, so that's a good way of uh, putting it. Matt, go ahead there. Sorry. No, you're good. So um, before we go, Adam, we wanted to ask you about a few a few local guys. And, you know, if Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and some of these <clears throat> Baylor guys are guys that are going to rise due to their tournament, um, the, the first guy I'm going to ask you is a guy who had a pretty just as, as about as bad an ending to the tournament as he could have, and that's Franz Wagner. Um, I've watched every game Franz played in at Michigan. Um, to me, he is a he's the type of guy who can come in on day one and be very impactful defensively in a number of different ways. The the offense he he needs to be more aggressive offensively. He needs to be. Uh, shooting more consistently offensively, um, but where uh, where do you have Franz uh, going? Uh, or I guess where do you have him on your board? And uh, what are your just general thoughts about him as an NBA prospect? Yeah, Fra- the the Franz Wagner uh, love train on NBA draft Twitter is getting a little bit out of control for me. He's a he's a sensational help defender, uh, but I, I don't know what position he guards best at the NBA level right now. And you hit the nail on the head with the offensive stuff. He needs to be more aggressive as a catch and shoot guy. And he has a lot of tools in his toolbox. He's six foot nine and and still pretty young. Like there's a lot of things to like about him. 
But I have him, I think right now he comes in at 19 on my big board. I don't have him as a lottery guy just because I'm not sure you know, who he guards at his best. Uh, if you're going to be that like cagey, bigger wing defender, you've got to be able to lock down guys like Giannis or Kawhi Leonard one-on-one. And, and that's a tall task for, for somebody like him right now. Uh, I think his, how exceptional he is on defense is more about angles, understanding, and positioning than it is about just overwhelming guys with how he moves his feet and, and is able to, to really strong, uh, you know, have a strong chest and, and handle guys who are trying to drive at him. So I know you've watched more Michigan than I have, but that's kind of my take on things right now. And, and I think that he'd be a, a very safe kind of post-lottery pick. No, I think you're right. And I've, I've talked about this with some of my, my friends about his defense. Um, he, he has this, he's had this tendency, especially this year um, to, I think he, he knows that he can make up a ton of space um, because he has these huge long strides, which you see on both ends of the floor. Um, he's just super long. So he, he can, he can let defenders go a little bit and, and catch up and block them at the rim you know, that's not something he's going to want to do at the NBA level. And so I, I would like to see him be, I guess, keep guys in front of him a little little more often than he did. So I, I totally get where you're coming from on that. And let me just ask you a quick question. You, you had mentioned guys that, uh, you know, like Davion Mitchell, um, like uh, Malachi uh, uh, Richardson, um, that their their draft stocks have you know picked up through the course of all those eyes on them um you know playing in big games and performing under the bright lights do you think that there's any merit in in the opposite of that like what we're seeing out of Franz Wagner cuz what i saw from him was was he he looked scared in that elite 8 game he looked like he was honestly just shook he airballed a 3 to uh that he probably had no business in taking just kind of based on how he had performed so far that that game and maybe it was a little bit of a hero mentality but is there any merit in, in the the opposite of that like okay this guy clearly like just folded when when the lights were brightest and uh is that a reason why an NBA team should stay away from a guy or is it just something where it's like okay we can put that away and let's just take, take a whole look at the body of work and sort of where we sort of project these guys um you know moving forward I would love to hear your thoughts on that it's a great question. Uh, I think it depends on the role that you're trying to to fit the guy into and what you envision his NBA future is going to be. Like with, with Franz right now, I keep thinking back to Grant Williams a couple years ago with Tennessee. Like They had an unbelievable regular season. They were top team in the country. And then in the tournament, when things got tough a little bit and some people got into him, he, he kind of went away. And that's been indicative of his, his NBA career, that there are some times where he's a really impactful role player. And there are also times when he just completely disappears and you don't even notice that he's on the floor. I think that's the challenge for a guy like Franz, where if you draft him knowing that that might be the case and you're not counting on him to be your third option on offense and that you have other good defenders around him, then no problem. Uh, I think that he's still a, a worthwhile guy because he is so solid in so many areas. But there is probably a little bit something to do you disappear when the bright when, when the bright lights are shining upon you or you know, when, when the moment comes to you, are you going to seize it or are you just going to let it slip? Uh, that's a, I know a Detroit reference there, but <laughs> he did, he did look really good against Scotty Barnes, the the game before that. I just want to 
<laughs> was mentioned that as a, as a front stand. <laughs> that, that was, he did look good. That was definitely his best game of the tournament. Uh, Matt, do you have any more questions? Well, I, I think maybe just uh, just for fairness for our listeners, because I'm sure we plenty, have plenty of Michigan State listeners as well. Um, thoughts on Aaron Henry, uh, Adam? Uh, I think he, uh, you know, he's. He's a guy who's super intriguing. Um, you know, he he was, I guess, I think, thought of in the as a first round guy, and then the Michigan State season was was rough. He didn't really have any help. Um, do you see him as a contributor at the next level? I think there's there's hope for him to be. You know, he's a strong bodied three and D type of wing, and and you know what you're going to get out of him. I was really impressed with his playmaking this year. I thought he's a much better passer than. I had anticipated or, or really evaluated a year ago. There's there's upside to him being there. I don't have him as a top 35 guy on my board right now. But that said, you know, three and D guys who are super competitive. All you need is the right situation in order to to put together a, a really comfortable and competent 12 to 18 minutes a night. And Aaron Henry can certainly be that guy. So I don't put him on first round radar right now. I just don't think there's enough pop or upside to it. But I certainly understand the appeal of of how he he would be somebody that a lot of teams would covet at the next level. Well, Adam, good stuff, man. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and you know bringing some of this wisdom to me and Matt and everyone listening here. So um, you know, first and foremost, thank you. And uh, you know, where can the people follow you? We're obviously going to shout you out in like the show notes and uh, on Twitter and on the the Bad Boys. Uh, Posts, but uh, yeah, just where for the for the people if they you know want to get some of this wisdom into their Twitter feed or online, you know where where can they find you? No, I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome having me on, and and uh, you know as far as following me or finding me online goes, uh, Spinella fourteen S P I N E L L A one four is the Twitter handle. Do a lot of work at my own blog, which does NBA draft scouting reports, some X's and O's work from a tactical perspective. And looking at uh, some college hoop stuff on the Box and One, which is my own site, as well as a ton of video scouting reports on YouTube. So, uh, you know, if you're ever looking for stuff to to get ahead on the draft, I'll be pumping out a, a lot of coverage between now and July. Awesome, Adam. Well, thank you, Matt. Anything else? Yeah, follow, follow Adam. Um, check out his stuff. He does great, great work. Um, I'm a big fan of the daily ETO that he does uh, every day, looking at some some great plays, and for, you know, from time to time, we even see some uh, some of Dwayne Casey stuff over there. Um, even though some Pistons fans don't think he calls plays, but I think Adam would confirm that he 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 does in fact have some some good stuff out there. Um, so yeah, I I just encourage everyone to follow Adam. He's one of uh, I think he's one of the smartest guys on uh, NBA Twitter for my money. I appreciate that, Matt. And if anybody's playing the Detroit Pistons and it's their ball with less than 10 seconds to go side out of bounds, it's going to be a fake handoff and they're trying to get their big man to the rim. We've seen that from Dwayne Casey every single time he goes through it. Blake Griffin, Miles Plumlee, Mason Plumlee, doesn't matter. (laughs) Good stuff, Adam. Well, we will uh, catch you later. Uh, Definitely good luck for you and and your team uh, moving forward and and next season. But uh, awesome. And uh, hopefully have you on again sometime soon. I appreciate it, guys.